Truth News Network. New thinking, city ablaze, island on fire, homes burned to the ground, toxic train derailures, all affecting properties, lives. Shall we call for help? No. How do we monetize this? Seriously. Schwab and the WEF telling you you will own nothing and be happy. Tell you what, Klaus, you lead the way. If you think we're kidding, it's sad, but it's true. And you know what? We're the Truth News Network. And with the hard news is Dan Newman. You know how you know what you're supposed to believe when you hear it coming from Klaus Schloss, however he pronounces his name in the World Economic Forum? You don't believe anything. (laughs) Nothing. Their globalists been on a one-world government. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's anything different from that. They've been on this quest for decades, generations even. They think they are endowed with everything you need to know and understand. And you're not worthy of getting those revelations on your own. You've got to bow at the altar of the World Economic Forum. Well, how about that to get started Tuesday? Hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. It is Tuesday, and it's a special day. Tuesdays always are, partly because Steve Baker will join us in our second hour, and we'll discuss in detail some more ugly things, the underbelly of our federal government, which he is plugged into and has it all. But to get you there and get you started, I know it's a little slow. Maybe you just warm up a bit with um, Michael McDonald. How about that? There aren't enough words to say when all I mean is I no longer love you. I'd like to live in life right there.
Doesn't he sound like he had got a bad deal from some relationship there? Finds himself on the losing end. Michael McDonald. <clears throat> now, excuse me. Something I'm going to do that I've never done before. There is an instrument that plays the bridge to that song. I actually talked to Michael McDonald about this song many years ago, and I asked him what that instrument is that's playing the bridge. And he said, I really don't know. And on the album cover, it had the word Lyricon, L-Y-R-I-C-A-N. I think I've got it pulled up right to that bridge. Listen to this with me. To catch you when you're Did you get that? Let's go back another five or ten seconds. I know, I know, we're getting on with this show, but it's my show, and I want to know what the heck this thing is. Well, (laughs) if you have any idea, drop me a note, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. I'd like to know what it is. I'd like to find the thing. It's an instrument of some kind, and it's just really got a great sound in that setting. And of course, Michael got dumped on. (laughs) That's why it's such a sad song. Oh, well. Got a frog in my throat, and I'll get it out of here in a few minutes. I apologize. Again, those of you that didn't make it for the show yesterday, I I apologize then. I'll do it again today. I had a um, shoulder, full shoulder, reverse shoulder replacement surgery a week ago Monday. And there's a lot of things that go along with it, but the big thing is I don't have the use of both hands the way that I normally do in producing this show. You got to have a lot of moving parts because there are a lot of moving parts that uh, happen at the same time. And we had a couple of boo-boos yesterday, clicking a wrong button, not on purpose, accidentally. But overall, it went well. We had a good show yesterday. They're always good when you're part of the show. And for those of you that are just coming back, welcome back. And I guess you got a week away from old Dan. (laughs) Maybe, maybe that was a good rest for you. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me one more time. I've got to clear my throat. Hang on. Can't be a frog in my throat. I hadn't eaten any frogs of late but I think maybe I got it there. What's up today? Boy, there are some horrendous things that are being exposed in this ramp up to this 2024 election coming in November. I mean, from top to bottom, foreign policy, illegal activity, both domestically and abroad that are directly impacting us. But I want to point something out to you. Several weeks ago, I told you about a new book that was coming out called Blood Money blood money. And I recommended that you go to Amazon or wherever you get your books and get uh, an early copy of the book. It's written by Peter Schweitzer. Blood money. 
and I'm going to weigh into it because it was released this morning and it is full of some of the most damning information coming out of different parts of the world that are already in mass numbers of ways impacting us all. Now listen to this. The communist Chinese government, they have been flooding our nation with illicit gun parts as part of a disintegration warfare strategy. They've actually named it that. The Chinese Communist Party has. This is part of a disintegration warfare strategy. It's employing that against our country, aimed at tearing our country apart from the inside. And it's all detailed in this book, new book, Blood Money. Schweitzer, the author, reveals in the book how Chinese companies, which are heavily regulated by the Chinese government, we all know that, they're flooding the United States with what are called auto-sear switches. Auto-sear, S-E-A-R, switches. That's a little metal device, also known as Glock switches, that can convert handguns into machine guns. They're illegal in the United States for most gun owners, but they're being shipped in boxes by the tens of thousands from China to our country. Just like fentanyl, the Chinese government is sending this auto-sear switches to sow chaos and death inside the U.S. as part of their disintegration warfare strategy. This strategy, Schweitzer writes, focuses on, in the Chinese leader's own words, going after the United States' soft underbelly in terms of politics, economics, and the spirit and psychology of its people. It's based on the ancient Chinese strategist and general Sun Tzu's teachings on how to win a war without fighting at all. The strategy is aimed at undermining a rival country's national will, its values, and its cohesion. In the book, Schweitzer uses leaked U.S. federal law enforcement documents to show how China is trying to arm felons and criminal gangs across the United States with these auto-sear switches. These devices, which are about the size of only a penny, started arriving here in large quantities back in 2018. They're illegal in the U.S., except for use by law enforcement personnel and a very select group of others who must obtain a federal license requiring an extensive criminal background check. Therefore, criminals in the U.S. purchase them illegally from China through Chinese websites that are in English, and they target Americans. Accordingly, between 2019 and 2021, just three years, there was a rise of 4,200% in incidents involving machine gun fire in 130 American cities. Although some of these illegal auto switches are made on 3D printers here in the U.S., the big majority are on the street or from China and are of much higher quality than those made on 3D printers. As U.S. law enforcement has been better at identifying these switches coming from China, guess what the Chinese producers have done? They've switched tactics. They're increasingly shipping them to, guess where? Mexico. 
and smuggling them across the border into the U.S. And of course, when they get there, they end up in the hands of gangs, felons, and drug dealers. And drug cartels in Mexico, by the way, they're also starting to manufacture these devices themselves, using machines provided by, guess who? China. Not surprisingly, the number of switches seized by law enforcement officials investigating crimes, it jumped by a startling 570% during a period of 2017 to 2021. And that's compared to the previous five years. That's from the ATF. Chinese companies are also importing firearm suppressors, also known as silencers to the U.S. Schweitzer details in the book how this is beginning to happen back in 2019, a huge influx of illegal suppressors began being shipped to the U.S. from China. Schweitzer wrote this, As with firearms, felons cannot legally own them. But these clandestinely imported Chinese suppressors enabled criminal gangs and drug cartels in America to get around those requirements by them in large numbers. And over the next three years, federal officials traced an astonishing 42,888 suppressors coming here from China. And those were only the devices they traced. How many others got through? These suppressors have also been sold on English websites, hosted on Chinese servers, mislabeled when they're shipped to the U.S. The Daily Mail reported on the Glock Switches revelations in Blood Money, this book, noted recent criminal cases involving these illegal devices, including the fatal shooting of a 53-year-old accountant, Paul Cutts, from Poughkeepsie, New York, whose masked assailant sprayed him with 30 bullets using a handgun that was modified with one of these Glock switches. The Daily Mail also quotes East Baton Rouge Parish, Louisiana, East Baton Rouge, Louisiana, District Attorney Hiller Moore said, we've seen Glock switches used all over the place, whether it's murder, attempted murder, witness intimidation, shooting up a neighborhood, or shooting up houses. In the last two years, Hiller's office has seen over 80 criminal cases involving Glock switches. Now, if you don't remember who Schweitzer is, he's the president of the Government Accountability Institute, and he writes that American politicians are doing little, if anything at all, to counter these practices. No American president appears to have brought this up with Beijing in his uh, consultations with President Xi. President Biden has pressed for gun restrictions on ordinary Americans, but he's never publicly discussed this problem where criminal elements are getting access to machine guns, courtesy of Xi Jinping and Chinese manufacturers. Schweitzer says members of Congress have been quiet too, although Kentucky is home to two of the top business cargo airports in the country where many of the devices are shipped. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been silent on the subject. He won't even discuss it with anybody. Holding China to account, exposing and denouncing its conduct should be expected, but has so far done none. 
of these things. I must point something out to you, the 900-pound gorilla in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Minority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell's wife, is the daughter of the biggest shipbuilder and shipping operation from China to the United States. And reportedly, her dad has close ties to Xi Jinping and the Communist Chinese Party. Schweitzer also noted, when Democrat Senators Amy Klobuchar and Cory Booker wrote Attorney General Merrick Garland back in 21 to express concern about these switches, they mentioned China's role as a supplier, but they did not call for any actions toward Beijing in response. Similarly, when 11 senators who introduced a bill to tighten restrictions on owning these switches, they also didn't propose any action against China. So this falls in that area of, oh, we know they're doing it. We know they're doing it. We just don't know what to do about it and leave it alone at that. If it was their kids that had been with one Glock pistol hit with about 33 bullets in 10 seconds, they'd be ready and willing to do something about it. While American politicians are pursuing restrictions on our gun manufacturers, they failed to take China to task. They hadn't done anything. U.S. political leaders are more focused on going after American gun manufacturers producing a legal product for millions of Americans than they are cracking down on Chinese companies catering to and further weaponizing criminal gangs in the U.S. Schweitzer concluded that with drug warfare, China is attempting to incite civil unrest here, similar to its own century of humiliation in which Beijing faults Western powers for sowing division in China during the 19th and the early 20th centuries. In the same way that it flipped the opium wars of the 19th century and created the fentanyl wars of the 21st century, Beijing now works to create a century of humiliation and weaken the United States by fomenting division They're simply putting weapon-enhancing technologies into the hands of felons, criminal gangs, drug traffickers, but also fueling at the same time social division on U.S. streets. Think about that. Now, with that as a backdrop, an explosive device was detonated outside of Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall's office over the weekend. Marshall said that no staff or personnel were injured by this explosion. What's this all about? Happened in the early hours of Saturday. An explosive device was detonated outside the AG's office. That's in Montgomery, Alabama. Thankfully, no staff or personnel were injured by the explosion. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency will be leading the investigation, and we're urging anyone with information to contact them immediately. Now, their announcement didn't say if a motive had been identified or if there are any suspects. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency said that special agents discovered this detonated explosive in approximately 8.19 a.m. on Monday after they got a tip of a suspicious package near the intersection of Washington Avenue and South Bainbridge Street 
in Montgomery, Alabama. Those agents were then able to find out that the explosive device had been detonated in the early hours of Saturday morning and noted that no damage to nearby buildings had been reported. The agency said no further information is available. Isn't it interesting? When asked if the incident could be related to Marshall's stance on in vitro fertilization, Amanda Priest, spokesperson for Marshall's office, told CNN media should not jump to conclusions about a specific issue. So one day before this happened, Marshall announced that his office had no intention of using a recent Alabama Supreme Court decision to prosecute families pursuing IVF, that's in vitro fertilization, or in vitro fertilization providers. Marshall has no intention of using the recent Alabama Supreme Court decision as a basis for prosecuting these families or providers, she said. By the way, in February, the state Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos are considered unborn children under state law and that anyone who destroys them may be held liable under the state's wrongful death of a minor act. That ruling obviously has raised some very complex legal and ethical questions, has sent Democrats and Republicans scrambling to come up with legislation to protect IVF in the state. At least three clinics in Alabama have reportedly paused their IVF services following following this ruling. I'll bet you those two are attached. And then there's another little crazy thing that happened late yesterday. Donald Trump Jr. Donald Trump Jr., the son of the former president, he got an envelope with a mysterious white powder inside of it that a hazmat team has been investigating at his home in Florida. News of this broke yesterday afternoon late after multiple trucks were spotted outside his home. He lives in Jupiter, Florida. One report said multiple fire trucks, men in hazmat suits, were spotted outside Donald Trump Jr.'s home in Jupiter on Monday evening after he received a letter containing an unidentified white powder inside of it. And, of course, the Twitter world, (laughs) it was just set on fire. It's just become a little bit too commonplace that this kind of stuff happens. Don't you agree with that? I mean, if this is to happen to a prominent Democrat, as an example, it wouldn't be tolerated. It would drive news coverage for days or weeks. The media, they would immediately blame all Republicans and force them to answer for it. But since it's Donald Trump Jr., (laughs) radical haters on the left, they're going to get a free pass. They can say anything. And the media won't even flinch. It doesn't matter what your politics are. This kind of crap is unacceptable. It is. This is actually the second white powder substance envelope that's been mailed to Donald Trump Jr. We didn't hear about the last one. The last time we had this happen, it was during Trump's presidency. And Donald Trump Jr.'s then wife opened it up with her kids standing there at her side. It's just sad. We live in a society where politics and the left's hatred of anybody, especially, of course, nowadays, any Republican, and especially if your hair's orange, 
and your nickname is the Orange Man. That's only happening now. And have you noticed it's only happening to one segment of our society? Makes you want to go, hmm, doesn't it? Big news ahead today. Steve Baker joins us at the top of the next hour. And we actually have another story about that quote-unquote pipe bomb at the DNC. Another story, and it's a credible source that is bringing it out. We're going to let you hear that interview right when we segue in to Steve Baker's segment at the top of the hour. So you don't want to, you don't want to miss any of this today, folks. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> movies, right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What are you modeling, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies, so losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of moving parts in today's politics. And when it gets so hectic, I mean, it literally is the old Beatles song. Helter Skelter. It really is getting that way. Don't you agree? I mean, we don't have time to put a an end to a conversation about any one single big political thing that are important. We need to be able to talk through and get understanding, get some answers for some of the things that we're dealing with. But if you stop for just a minute, look around, look at the landscape of the nation, look at all of the stuff that's up in the air right now. We're still dealing with January 6th stuff. January 6th, 2021. That's when it happened. I had to hesitate for a minute. It's been that long. Yeah. We still don't know what really happened there. We don't know who's at fault. We don't know if there was election fraud. Now, we do know there was a bunch of election irregularity. And, of course, even my saying that, that automatically goes ding, 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 ding somewhere in somebody's office. 
and I and TNN Live and TruthNewsNet.org are tagged as election deniers. I don't care. I don't care if Fox News has forbade all of their own air talent to even talk about possible election fraud. And there are no strict orders. You go down that road again, you're out of here. And I understand Fox doing it. They paid out the wazoo hundreds of millions of dollars to settle that case. The one that ended up getting Tucker Carlson canned at Fox News. I understand all of that. But look at all of the other things around. We don't know what the heck is going on overseas. We don't know what's going on in Ukraine. We don't know what's happening in Russia or why. We don't communicate with Xi Jinping and China. Kim Jong-un is still up there in North Korea lobbing every once in a while some practice missiles threatening that he's going to point a bunch of nukes at the United States. And then look at the, the whole continent of Africa. It's up in tatters. So many moving parts. You know what I come to when I go through this process? I'm one of those process thinkers. You know, I'll talk about all these little things that are scattered out. It's like looking at the sky on a clear night and you see all these stars up there and you look from the east and the west and everybody just, they all look the same. And they're all just part of one particular picture. I think those that are purveyors of all of the chaos we're dealing with today, they're purposely seeing those kind of things happen keeping the focus of the American people away from what is really important. Well, what's really important, Dan? Don't you think illegal immigration is important? Don't you think our economy in tatters is important? Don't you think that we've got to stop this influx of fentanyl from China? Yeah, I do. Every one of those things are important. But what we need to start thinking about is how do we all of a sudden become attention deficit disorder, ADD people? Who are you referencing with that? I happen to have one in my family. It's our son, Caleb. When he was small, first of all, he's brilliant. He is literally tested as a genius, way off the charts. And he's a very successful executive chef in Dallas now at the age of 43, But it took him a long time and a lot of failing and messing up and even some jail time to get his head screwed on right. But here was the trait that he got labeled with as being attention deficit disorder. Marianne could tell him, go to your your room, son, and clean it up. He'd fall apart. He couldn't get his head around going in there and cleaning up his room. However... She could tell him, Caleb, go in there and straighten up the shoes in your closet floor. He'd go in there and straighten the shoes up perfectly and then come back in. And she would say, go pick the toys up around laying on the floor and put them in the toy drawer at the bottom of your dresser. He'd go right in there and do it. Caleb, go get your dirty clothes and put them in the hamper. He would do it. So how does that play into this conundrum you're talking about? They've got our diversions so splattered, we can't get our feet gripped into anything solid. And I think a large part of that, chaos and sowing chaos, 
begets fear and anger. And very few people in world history make good choices when they're consumed with anger and or fear at the same time. So how do we make this thing work? Well, I'm not a doctor. Not at all. Somebody will say, well, I know a doctor or two, so ask me a question. <laughs> I've lived through the, um, the patient family side of severe attention deficit disorder. In fact, his was ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. I've seen it. I've seen what it does. And I've also seen how we can solve it. We've got to get our arms around all of these issues, not denigrate any of them, not diminish any of them, not act like any of them have gone away. They're all still there and very important. But what has to happen for the United States to be able to get through this to the next good level of our history is that those leaders that we vote for that end up in Washington to supposedly represent us, they've got to start taking care of these things, finding the true details that make all of these conundrums happen, and then change it. Some of you that are regulars are listening right now, and you said, he's about to say it, he's about to say it, I am. You need to change something. Nothing's going to change until you change something. Whatever is causing the thing that you want changed, you've got to change the causes before you can begin to see the good things come from the changes we have made. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, yesterday, he got in an argument about Hunter Biden. Of all things, what does that have to do with this? This is just another little bitty thing, but it's a very important little bitty thing in the United States. No one can credibly say it's not. Turley said that Hunter Biden blew away the suggested defense of his lawyer, Abby Lowell, by talking about his sobriety, Hunter Biden's sobriety with Axios. Biden suggested to the outlets that his sobriety is key to defeating Donald Trump ahead of the 24 presidential election and the future of democracy. Now, you try to pull all that together. <laughs> By the way, Hunter's facing three counts for providing false statements, knowingly purchasing a Colt Cobra revolver in October of 2018 while he was still under the influence of drugs. Turley said, I think he, Hunter Biden, should worry less about democracy and more about his liberty. Turley continued, I think the problem with his interview with Axios is that he blew away any suggested defense of his counsel, Abby Lowell. Lowell suggested he might argue that he was in a period of sobriety when he signed the statement falsely. He contradicts that and says his first day of sobriety was actually the day before his father announced for president. It was the day of his wedding, and that was eight months after he signed that form. Now, where does this go in the context of what we were just talking about, Dan? It goes right to the heart of it. Right to the heart of it. Here's the deal. 
We have an election coming up. We have a president that can't even tie his shoes. He can't even walk from the White House to Marine One without having his depends catching his suit coat and holding it up so that everybody can see he's wearing depends. We have that going on. His son is a rabid drug offender that has nowhere in his life been held accountable for any one thing. And we expect Joe Biden to make heads or tails of any of these things in the context of the really tough questions we have floating around that we were just talking about. Victor Davis Hanson weighed in on this. I like him. And he said, we Americans, we're reaching a tipping point moment, especially in Joe Biden's campaign. Joining me now is Victor Davis Hanson. He's a Hoover Institution senior fellow. Victor, thanks for being here. So it seems that no cards, we're talking about the no cards because they're back in the news. Joe's at these swanky fundraising dinners and the donors are, every single part of it is scripted down to the question. So now the donors are worried. But it feels like the no cards are the least of our problems, Victor. Yeah, it is. He's starting to become a Howard Hughes president. I mean, he's not seen, he's not heard. And when he is, he seems like he's kind of demented or unhinged. And so you can blame the staff, but they're, they're making Herculean efforts to try to package him, and you can't package something. And, you know, Pete, this was all born out of a, a Faustian bargain. He, this, this was known to people in 2019 and 20, and the deal was that none of those left-wing candidates could get elected or beat Donald Trump. So they said, we will back you and pull out of the race after South Carolina's victory, and you will play the role of good old Joe Biden, not really a president, you'll just be a veneer, and we will implement the hardest left-wing agenda we've seen in a half century. And that's what's happened. And it was born in deceit, and it's gonna end in deceit because Corinne Jean-Pierre and all of his handlers can assure us that he's robust, he's the most dynamic person in the room, but you can't lie to the American people day after day. They're very smart, and they know what's going on. And now the question is not, if, but when, how do they get him out? How do the donor class do it? How do the politicals do it? How does the media do it? And they're thinking 24-7 how to do it. And there's not a lot of options. You go through every option, you hit a brick wall. Yeah. Victor, Victor, there seems to be one layer between Joe, well, there's many layers, but one key layer between Joe and the American people, and that's the press corps. And if you remember last year, famously, Biden was photographed holding a note card that had the reporter he should call on and also what she was going to ask about. So his handlers keep him protected from the press, but the press seems complicit in this. Can you imagine? I mean, you remember the conversations about the 25th Amendment when, as it pertained to Donald Trump. Yet we hear nary a peep. Yes, There's a I few do. whispers now. The press is protecting Joe. They are. But, you know, the press is not immoral. It's amoral. In other words, they have no morality. And they, they'll go with Biden as long as a viable left-wing agenda on the horizon and they can demonize and defeat Donald Trump. But if they feel that he's not going to fulfill his role, the character that he's supposed to play, you know, good old Joe Biden from Scranton that just sits there while, you know, the Obamas and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders push this agenda, then he's of no use to them. 
and you're already starting to see a lot of leaks about him. Absolutely. His debility, uh, and you think that moment has come? Loss of memory, you've seen the leaks. You've seen the rumors. You've seen the discussions. Say, you know what? We've you've got seen, to intervene. You know, there's been a shadow campaign for quite some time. There's this conversation's been. We've had this conversation, but there's got to be a tipping point moment. Victor, are we reaching it? We are, because he's declining geometrically. It's not arithmetically. Every day, it seems to be a force multiplier the day before. And the media is becoming humiliated and disgraced as they try to prop up this virtual candidate that doesn't exist. And the longer they stay with him, the more discredited that they become. And you're starting to see some, you know, James Carville or Bill Maher, or people are just saying, look, we're not going to play along with this anymore. And we got to get somebody else in there. But the time is running out. And, and, you know, when you look at Elizabeth, I mean, you look at Kamala Harris and Gavin Newsom's state, the, and I live in it, there's not a lot of viable alternatives. <laughs> so we're going to see some really radical things in the next eight months that we've never seen before in a presidential campaign. Guarantee it. Yeah, there's going to be some moonshots, some, some, some gambles for sure. We're also gambling globally because we're going to switch gears a little bit. Remember when... Biden made him, I don't know, maybe he knows about this threat or remembers this threat, maybe not. He made this threat to Russia. What do you say would happen if opposition leader Alexei Navalny dies? I made it clear to him that I believe the, the consequences of that would be devastating for Russia. You're right, Victor. He actually looked spry in June of 2021 compared to where he is now, and we knew he was diminished then. So today, he made good on his threat. Watch. Sanctions are great. Um, we're hearing about 500 targets. People see a big number of yeah. 500. People also know that two years ago, President Biden said this was going to be the most devastating sanctions regime in the history of sanctions regimes, which is accurate. He has been tough. He has uh, he has stood up to Russia. He has stood up to Putin. Victor, seriously, sanctions, have they hurt Russia at all? They were supposed to prevent this conflict. Uh, no. It's only spun out of control. No, so what he does this is, is their spin? He talks... He he taught the the more he wields a twig, the louder he gets to compensate. So he threatens everybody. He calls Putin a murderer. He calls him a SOB, but he doesn't do anything to him. So he, all this loud bluster is never backed by consequence. And so it has the opposite effect. The way we want to do it is keep quiet and use a club. But he doesn't do that. We have ceded control over the world's major uh, maritime corridors. We don't own we in the West can't navigate the Red Sea. We can't even go in the Straits of Hormuz without worry. The Persian Gulf is endangered. The Black Sea is a Russian lake, and it's very dangerous. So under this tenure, people just kind of slept away that the global project is now paralyzed because our enemies have taken control of the means of communication and navigation and travel and trade. Nobody talks about it. That was all the work of Joe Biden. And all the rough no rhetoric doubt. and tough um, talk in the world won't make it right. You can't put Humpty Bumpty back together happened. again. He's got to be quiet and no, you act can't. and restore deterrence. He can't. He cannot. Instead, we're speaking loudly and carrying a twig, as you said so aptly. Uh, Victor, thank you so much for your time. So Victor Davis Hansen is probably one of the best educators that I've actually known of in a long, long time. And he gets exactly what we were discussing before you heard that soundbite. There's so many moving parts out there. There's so much because of the unfathomable number of moving parts and everything. It's pure chaos. Nobody knows what's what. Nobody can come up with any substance about anything. How in the heck are we the people 
supposed to be able to deal with just life, everyday life, when every single day we turn our televisions on, our internet up, we get in the car and listen to radio satellite news, and it's something new, something diverse, something totally different. But it's all bad. It's all bad. And those people, those intellectuals that are supposed to be the ones that are just bringing us the news, they give us the details of what happened. And they should shut up when they gave us the facts. But they don't. They launch into an explanation so that you and I, the dimwits that are incapable of coming up with answers on our own, they have to explain to us from their leftist perspective, what all of this really means. And then we, the people, we're so dumbed down now, we're so afraid we go make some decisions based upon what we're being told, not because of what we're being told that we know is factual. Oh, we got to change something. After all, Dan Newman says it all the time. Nothing changes if nothing changes, so let's just go over here and, you know, we used to think this was okay in the right way. Apparently, it's not working, so let's just do away with it and just get a feel-good moment. And we justify what we've done based upon that momentous emotion that happened one time instead of being based on facts. It's getting tougher and tougher to keep up with everything. I know you feel the same way I do. It's like you wake up and you're tired already. You start thinking about the day and all of a sudden you're ready to drown a beer, grab a cigar, and you haven't even started your day. Wow. Steve Baker joins us in just a few minutes. The top of the hour. Jim Jordan stepped up last night at CPAC with some brand new information I think you'll want to hear about. Jim Jordan's next. We got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift-wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon-wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize... Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying, value drink. Price participation may vary. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? 
people are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. I don't know about driving that Lincoln, (laughs) but all of this is making me head towards starting to drink and I don't drink. But I tell you, you can't diminish any of this stuff that we're hearing because we know there's got to be a lot of truth, a lot of facts in all this negative stuff we're hearing about. And to make matters worse for somebody like me, I'm interacting with, I'm involved in a large business group in the continent of Africa with fingers all over the world. And so we have these conference calls. There are five of us in this group. And every time we meet, we find out there's another dozen, 15, 20, 25 really bad things that have been going on for a long time that are changing life for millions of people in Africa. We think we've got it all cornered here in the United States, but listen, we're nowhere near being the most involved in all of the chaos and wrongdoing that's happening around the world. We can't diminish it, that it's happening in any place. But how can we expect to get on the other side, you know, get a bridge built across whatever this chasm is so we don't fall in the chasm? How do we expect we're ever going to get there without knowing exactly what's on the other side? And do we really need to go over there Or is it just a diversion and maybe we're supposed to stay where we were and just work on it like we had seen it happen and do something with that or maybe just ditch it and go to some other place? It's almost like instead of shooting a a rifle that has one cartridge, one bullet, you shoot at a time. Now they're teaching us, go get a shotgun. Put a shotgun shell in the chamber and you've got a hundred BBs in it. You shoot in that direction and you're going to hit somebody. You might hit several somebodies. Everything you see and hear today, without exception, has more to it than what you see and hear. Put that in the context of what Jim Jordan's about to address. Fanny Fonny Willis, district attorney down in Atlanta. She's opened up Pandora's box, her very own Pandora's box. And she is being busted with all kinds of revelations on a daily basis. And let me make a prediction, a very bold prediction about this whole thing in Atlanta. My prediction is this. Donald Trump will walk. All of those charges will be thrown out. Why? Because of what the left does. So seeds of discord that are almost always full of lies, hoping that the lies won't show up. But they start being exposed, and when that happens, what do we say? The truth will out, and it's doing just that. I'm not sure if uh, Jimmy Kimmel understood what the title of this uh, conversation is. What you talking about, Willis? Bonnie Willis? 
Uh, did she get back to you today? Yeah, we subpoenaed her. Not yet. Um, I just talked Wait, to her. Wait, is she supposed to get back to you today? Yeah, she's supposed to get documents. Well, to did us. you hear from her boyfriend? We haven't. So some, I was talking about this in the office, and I said, I said, Fonnie Wade, and it was like a Freudian slip, you know, like I, I, Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade. So, uh, uh, no, we haven't heard back from her yet. We'll see what we get from her. But there's a whistleblower in her office who we have talked to, our the committee staff. Yeah, and she. Uh, the whistleblower, uh, I think she's like four foot eleven, but Fonnie Willis had seven police like escort her out when, when she fired this lady because this lady raised the concern that Miss Willis was not spending federal funds and the not following the grant, uh, the rules of the grant and, and, and the grant dollars in the in the appropriate manner. So uh, she raised this concern and then Fonnie Willis fired her. She's now talking with our office and we'll see where that goes. And that's why we we subpoenaed for records and documents related to this. We'll see what we get. Uh, there's still a few hours left in today. She also was interesting. She, instead of accepting service on the subpoena, she made us send the U.S. Marshals. Even though our office had talked with her office, we've had correspondence back and forth. She made the U.S. Marshals take the subpoena there. So uh, go figure. This is Fonnie Willis, and we all saw her, I think, her attitude on display when she took the, took the I thought it a was few weeks a, I ago. thought it was a skit, but I think it actually was real life. It was real. It well, was you know, real. we said, we sent out a tweet that said, we didn't invite Fonnie Willis to CPAC, but there is a Fonnie sandwich with a chaser of Grey Goose vodka if you have enough cash, ready cash in your pocket. Yeah, the, the, the comedy routine from Mr. Slap coming out today, that's awesome. It's been a long year, Jay. Yeah, well, um, but we appreciate what you do. We appreciate what CPAC has meant for conservative principles for a long, long time. Thank you. It means a lot. Jim Jordan at CPAC yesterday, yesterday afternoon talking about Fonnie Willis. All of the stuff that's being thrown out, seeded by the left, mainstream media, they're the ones that go out and do all the seeding of the stuff that are given them by principally the Democrat National Committee and Democrats in Congress and people in the FBI. Yeah, there are people sowing seeds of lies and discontent in the FBI. Now, Steve Baker is going to join us in a few minutes. He's been looking closely at documenting whether or not the FBI lied to us about the DNC pipe bomb. So, before we go to Steve, yesterday there was a story that went national about events that happened on January 6th, and maybe, just maybe, the FBI was lying and we have a real witness to testify here, Michael Schellenberger. Listen to this. Sure. Well, this is, uh, I, will, I will say up front that in my view, the evidence now suggests very strongly that there is a cover-up going on about mm -hmm. what really happened and that the FBI and the Secret Service are involved in that cover-up. And the reason I feel so strongly about that, there's multiple reasons. Start with the first big reason. All of the Secret Service agent texts from January 6th have been allegedly deleted. Um, Washington Post, to its credit, did a very good report on this last year where they interviewed experts and just said how completely implausible it would be that all of these texts have been deleted and are not retrievable. That's number one. Number two, 
the, the pipe bombs themselves, the FBI, the, the so-called pipe bombs, the FBI itself said would, were set on January 5th, set to go off on January 6th. In fact, they had a 60-minute timer on them, which would have made it impossible to have them set on the 5th to go off on the 6th. And in fact, the Washington field office director, when he was interviewed by Congressman Massey um, in, a, in an interview that has now been made public, agreed that the pipe bombs could not have gone off on January 6th. So the initial assessment was wrong. I'll give you a third example. As soon as they discovered uh, the, the, uh, per, the person who discovered, supposedly discovered, the supposed bomb uh, outside the Republican National uh, Committee headquarters, um, this person worked for an FBI contractor at the time. Uh, she has not returned any, any requests for interviews, mm. is an extremely suspicious person. Uh, the organization she worked for was called FirstNet, also had the head of the Department of Homeland Security on the board. Uh, this is an extremely suspicious uh, scenario. There's so many, basically nothing adds up about what happened. Mm -hmm. She claimed that, uh, that she overheard a police officer saying after they saw the bomb, get to the DNC, to the Democratic National Committee headquarters to check for another bomb. It's not clear why that would have been the instinct at all from anybody. One might have thought that a bomb, if it was near the Republican National Headquarters, meant other bombings on Republicans. Then to suggest it was, a, it was gonna be at the DNC is very strange. So I'll just stop there, but I mean, this is a very strange case. I find it, we, everything about it, nothing adds up. Congress is looking into it. I think there's a lot more questions that we have to ask. So are you alleging then that you don't think there was a pipe bomb at all? Or when you reference the fact that the text messages have all been deleted from, was it Secret Service Secret members? Secret Service. That there was, that this was a, a plant by our own government. We don't know. Um, and we don't know if these were active bombs. The FBI claims that the bombs were viable, but there's no evidence the bombs were viable because the FBI destroyed the alleged bombs. So we don't know. The 60-minute timer is extremely suspicious. Um, in particular, then, the linkage to January 6th, What's going on there? I mean, it appears to us as though this is part of some sort of a disinformation effort. I don't know who planted those bombs. We're, I'm not even confident that, the, that we can trust that the bombs were planted when they said they were planted, that we know who planted them. We did, we did two stories on this. The one that came out most recently describes how the FBI's own map erroneously locates where the RNC bomb, alleged bomb, was. It wasn't in that place. It was actually closer to the Capitol Hill Club. And when you look at the photograph of it, it was actually nowhere near where it could have caused harm to the Republican National Committee headquarters. It was near a brick wall. It was closer to the Capitol Hill Club. One of many discrepancies in this mm. case. Well, what about someone who says, okay, if, fair enough to all that, um, this was a very poorly thought out, poorly executed, uh, like the attack on the Capitol itself, right, which did not, if, if premeditated, was not, I, I don't think it was, it was a spontaneous riot based on what was going on that didn't actually have a you know plan to occupy the Capitol from a militarily successful point of view. So similarly... Whoever did this you know, did not, you know, actually know how to set a device to go off a day later. Um, that kind of thing, but doesn't doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Just that it was not a well thought out, well executed, violent plan or conspiracy. We don't even need to go there because that's conjecture, and we're not into conjecture <laughs> here today. But what we're going to do right now is dial the guy who knows pretty much all this stuff going on, like uh, 
nobody else I own, Steve Baker. Good morning, sir. Well, hello, Mr. Steve. How are you today? I'm good. Are we on the air? I took you right straight out of Michael Schellenberger's conversation <laughs> about the uh, RNC, DNC bombs, and i just going to throw you to the wolves. I know you probably didn't have a chance yeah. to hear it, but you know more about yeah. any of that than anybody else I know. So <clears throat> among other things, I'd like you to share whatever new news you know about this. Uh, well, uh, which uh, which of the new Schellenberger reveals are we talking about? Um, he was on yesterday with the group talking about whether or not the FBI, excuse me, my, my voice, let me cough. Sorry about that. Um, uh-huh. Schellenberger <clears throat> was talking about the questions that are related now to whether or not the bombs were real and whether the FBI oh, yeah. had lied about the validity of the bombs, you know, and of course, you know, the mm-hmm. answer to that, you saw the evidence yourself. Right. Oh, uh, I am absolutely 100 convinced, uh, percent convinced that they are lying about the, uh, validity or viability of those uh, devices. Uh, they were basically nothing more than training devices. In fact, that was probably the reason for even the law enforcement officers who, let's just say, weren't in on the, the in on it, that saw these devices uh, laying aside and then reacted so casually, lackadaisically to the uh, discovery of these devices. It's probably because they had seen this type of training device before, and therefore they weren't concerned about it. They probably thought they were in the middle of a training scenario at that time. I, I did a, a very um, exhaustive interview with whistle, FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin about this situation, and he, of course, is a uh, a guy who knows how to build bombs, both in the military and from his training in the FBI. Uh, he is a guy who has um, uh, well, he's he's the he's the closest guy we have so far to the inside of the Washington field office of the FBI, because that's where he was working on January 6th. And just uh, not coincidentally, he was also assigned to the investigation of some of the people that they originally thought might be the bomb that might actually be the bomber. And so he was on the case at the time. And when he was putting the team together, the actual group of field agents who were going to be tra- trailing, tracking, surveilling, um, doing stakeouts on their prime suspect at the time, they were informed by their special agent in charge of the investigation that, in fact, the bombs were not viable. That's what they were told. That's what he, he and his team were told. Then you fast forward three years later, and the FBI c- continues to contend that they were viable and that, in fact, that they could cause uh, great uh, uh, personal injury or even death. Of course, their safety is that the bombs are nowhere to be found, so we can't even test to find out if what they're saying is actual or otherwise. But it takes us well, to they, it they're, takes they're us, nowhere. They're nowhere. They're, no, they're nowhere to be found because yeah. I showed the video of them being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they literally were destroyed. <laughs> right. 
Um, so here's the thing. The, the whole crux of this first hour of the show today was we don't know the truth. We don't know who to trust. Even people that we have been told for decades are the honest purveyors of the news. These are the people that won't put their finger on the scale and weigh it one way or the other. They're just going to tell you what happened, and then you just make your own opinions, and they're going to jibe with what you've been told by these reporters and these networks. None of that's true anymore. We don't know who to trust. We don't know where to go. And then when we begin to find out that there are horrible elements in the Department of Justice, every three-letter agency there, and even others, that are not only lying to the American people on consistent basis, but they're lying and covering up lies with more lies. And they don't care when we, the people, find out about it. They know that that's going to make us fearful. And they're using our fear to manipulate us. This almost sounds like a book that I read, oh, I don't know, a few decades ago, 1984. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you more uh, currently. I just read um, Cash Patel's book over the weekend. And, and Cash Patel's book, of course, you know, he was one of the uh, senior intelligence advisor or security uh, advisors to the president, uh, president Trump. And then in the final days of the Trump administration, uh, he was transferred over to the DOD, uh, department of defense to do uh, work over there. Uh, and then when he <laughs> had the opportunity before, I should say, before he was, he was ever even with the Trump administration, he was, first of all, he was a, um, uh, what do you, uh, he was a defense attorney, uh, but he was, you know, one of the court appointed types. So he was the, the type of guy that, that ha- has to work for the, um, uh, the people with no money. Yeah. And, and then, and then he became a, and he was doing that on the federal level. And then he became a federal prosecutor and then his career took him into, um, uh, government service much more deeply in the DOJ and, and, what you're talking about right there, the lies become more lies and the lies to cover the lies. He was very specific and detailed cases that he worked on both when he was working in the department of justice and working inside the government and working with Congress and working with the various agencies like the DOJ and the FBI, because he, he was in a position where he had to oversee so much of the uh, was the liaison between so many of these other agencies and the, the president's office that he saw with his own eyes and witnessed that they would actually classify documents that had no reason to be classified just to cover up their own malfeasance, to cover up their lies. So he says he talks about these classified documents as these guys are getting in trouble, whether it's President Trump or Biden or, or Obama or whoever else has uh, classified documents in their possession. The point being is he said a lot of those classified documents were only marked classified to cover up their behaviors, not because it was a national security issue. Every time you think of classified, you think of top secret. Well, that's the same thing that I'm dealing with right now, Dan, is that I am struggling greatly, even with the friendlies in Congress who have been very helpful to me up to this point, 
because there are documents that are not classified. They're not marked sensitive or highly sensitive. They don't have any type of special designation, but they are so incriminating to the people in power that they are scared to death to allow the public to see these documents. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to mark them and they're trying to bear mark them as highly sensitive and therefore can't be released to the public and trying to keep my grubby little hands off of them and keep me from <laughs> revealing the, the, the stories that I've been sitting on for months. So how do you get around that corner? How can you get to the place where you can force them to release those? It, it, it comes... There, there will come a time, Dan, where even those who I believe in and those who I have trusted up to this point, that there, there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to tell the story of what I've seen. And, the, and when I say the story, the stories of what I've seen. And I'm going to have to do it in such a way that doesn't uh, jack me up in some sort of um, criminal liability, like contempt of court or something of that nature. But but to to create enough of an outcry that the people will demand to see those documents, or maybe some other good white hats on Capitol Hill will demand to see those documents, or somebody internally will leak those documents because they know that the truth needs to get out. And that's the only thing that we can do right now. I'm trying to work properly through channels. I'm trying to be patient. I'm trying to uh, uh, maintain relationships that have been very beneficial to me up to this point uh, because that is important. And and unfortunately, I don't want to play politics. This was another thing uh, that I read in Cash Patel's book uh, this weekend was the, the concept of how the bureaucracy, as he calls it, a permanent Washington, those who have the lifelong career jobs, regardless of who is in power or who's in the White House or who's controlling Congress, those people have way too much power because they've learned the machinations to the point where they can slow walk anything. If that was the term, they can they can stonewall. They can so when, when even even if the president in his own executive powers can order people in that are working in the executive branch to do something for him or to produce a document for him or to unclassify a document for him. These bureaucrats are so good. They're so entrenched at slow walking and stonewalling that sometimes they're they're good enough at it that they can even defy the president's orders. And there's nothing the president can do about it because he can't even fire them. We have a lot. uh, We have a lot of people that listen to this show to get this kind of factual information and get it verified. So what you just said is critical for every free, freedom-loving American to understand. Just because it is crystal clear in law that certain things are to be done, certain things are not to be done for certain purposes, and it's, it's just in vivid detail, in all kinds of statutes and government documents. They have, a bureaucratic group of people have developed a method to even stop the wheels of justice from forcing clairvoyance, 
to be a, a given to anybody or everybody that files for, ask for, request for within the tenets of the law. They just flip them the bird and say, we're not going to comply. And there's no accountability for that, for doing that. And that's literally what happens, Dan. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a glorified flipping of the bird at the system, even at the leadership. Uh, and and I'm, I'm caught in the middle of that very scenario right now. And that's before we even get into the really hardcore politics of this. I, in fact, I, I'm going to give you a scenario right now that is basically a tease or a precursor to something that we're we're developing and have been for quite some time. Good. You know, I I I had I had when I first started looking into the Capitol Police, and of course, I was always of the assumption that the Capitol Police were set up on January 6th. Now, when I say that they were set up, I'm talking about the frontline officers. I'm not talking about leadership because obviously there were elements in leadership that, that were involved in the setup and we're getting closer and closer and closer on that all the time. But more importantly, as I began to interview Capitol police officers, I would have, I would have officers that had been with, with the Capitol police in excess of 20 years, uh, and active, active duty with the Capitol police that would tell me this exaggerated story about how powerful they were. You don't understand, Steve, how powerful they are. And I, you know, I, I, I patiently listen to people's, you know, uh, assertions of that sort. And, and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, they're not more powerful than the FBI. They're not more powerful than Congress. They're not more powerful than well, name, name your name your three letter agency. They're, and they kept, no, you have no idea how powerful the Capitol Police are. So I'm thinking, okay, there must be a little bit of even internal uh, type of conspiracy going on because. They make it seem like it's almost like a mafia uh, uh, or even, you know, an additional secretive dark money, deep state organization of some sort. And then I'm talking to other officers and they're telling me the same thing. Then I'm talking to more officers and Dan, I'll be on the phone with them and they break down in tears and are crying. They're so afraid to talk. And these officers won't talk. This is why they won't go forward. That's why come forward. That's why we've only seen one Capitol Police whistleblower, uh, Lieutenant Tar Johnson, and and they're they're scared to death to come forward. Well, Dan, there's a reason for them why they don't come forward, and 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 it's it's no more complicated than this. Which organization knows? everything about every one of the peccadillos in the private lives, the secret lives of the most powerful people on Capitol Hill. Department of Justice. No, the Capitol Police. Oh, okay. They're security guards. Gotcha. They know everything. They know where the bodies are buried. They know who buried them. They know who's sleeping with who. They know who is not uh, maybe the... <laughs> Maybe they're not the same. Um, how do we say their, their sexual preference is not um, uh, public knowledge? They know everything, and this is why we see our leaders right now. Did you notice that the first thing that McCarthy said when he became speaker at the beginning of uh, twenty-three, after the GOP took the house? He said, I'm going to release all of the January 6th tapes. Within a couple of weeks, he pulled back on that. Oh, yeah. And he had a, and he had a couple of his, 
his, you know, lieutenants in the Congress go out and start defending the reasons for pulling back. The first thing that Speaker Johnson did says, I'm going to release the tapes. You know that it's been over nine, so out of 1,738 cameras, they have only released a total of eight cameras 24 hours from eight out of 1,738 cameras. It's been over nine weeks since the Congress has uploaded another inch of footage of that uh, January 6th footage. It's also become very, very, very difficult despite my relationship directly with the committee and the committee chair that oversees this. It's become very, very difficult for us now to get our hands on anything. And that's because the Capitol Police Board has basically thrown down the gauntlet and people are pulling back. Congress is pulling back. So the you're most powerful people in Congress are pulling back. So you're saying blackmail is running on the, the, the whole show up there. Did I say that? Did I actually say that on the air today? <laughs> let me give I don't you think a, I ever said that word. Let, let me give you a little chuckle when I asked that. Um, we always watch to see who is listening to this show the second hour on Tuesday because that's when Steve Baker's with us. And he has a little fan club over in Virginia. There are six... <laughs> six IP addresses, that's computers or phones or whatever, that are logged into the show right now from Langley, Virginia, headquarters of the oh, CIA. Well, <laughs> welcome, guys. Good to, good to have you again. Oh, my but gosh. This, but this is, but this, is what's, this is what's happening, and this is what you're talking about, and this is what, you, what you, your opening question to me today was about uh, just Schellenberger's, um, Schellenberger's uh, uh, he's not really doing a reveal. He's basically doing a follow-up yeah. on, on the work that I've done and a couple of other, uh, you know, Julie Kelly and uh, Darren Deedy and, and a couple of others have done. But what, what, the, what the bottom line is is that they are going to walk before those cameras. When I say they – be it the DOJ, be it the FBI, and they're going to walk before those cameras. Remember, remember when Ted Cruz and I forget, I forget, uh, it was a deputy. Um, I think it was the the, the uh, what, what do you call it, the um, deputy director of the FBI, and he and Ted Cruz asked her pointedly how many federal assets were in the crowd. She said, "I can't." She said, "I can't answer that." He said, "Was Ray Epps a Fed?" She says, "I can't answer that." She didn't say no. She said, I can't answer that. And that, that was her answer. That was that was the totality of her answer. Well, obviously, and, when and, she said that, she was basically sending a message to people that were looking in. Not that what his question was asked was wrong or right, but that she can't answer it because of, and the people that know what the because ofs are were listening to her. And she was making sure she signaled that she's not going to say the wrong thing. And and this is this is exactly what we've been talking about the whole time. There is a there is a system in place right now by a group of people right now that are covering up the truth. And it's the truth that you and I know, Dan. Your your audience knows what the truth is. We may not know the specifics and every single detail of what's going on right now, 
but but this reality of this quote unquote deep state, uh, this reality of uh, of what um, uh, J. Michael Waller's new book called Big Intel, and I recommend everybody to go get that book, um, is the reality is what he calls the red thread that has been running through our intelligence services for decades now. The red thread being the the um, the new cultural Marxism, the critical theory, the wokeism, the DEI, uh, CRT, all of these things that have been running through our, our intelligence services, they now are controlling the agenda. And that's what we're seeing here because, as we know, if I go back to the Capitol Police, we go back to the bomb, we'll go back to the uh, Schellenberger story there. There's a reason why they're trying to control the narrative. And because when you pull, when you pull on that thread, things begin to unravel. And if you pull on that red thread at just the right place, it's going to take you and show you who's at the heart of every one of these issues. And particularly if we're talking about the pipe bomb, as we pull on that thread, it's leading us ultimately to just one or two desks of which I'm already aware where, where this thread runs, but, but we have to prove it. We have to keep pulling, keep yanking until, until it unravels. And then when you pull on another thread if, through these other Capitol police investigations I've been doing, then, oh my goodness, I, I, that seems to go to the same desk. And then you pull on another thread from another investigation and another story, whether it's the uh, agent Lazarus cover up, that's, that's becoming, that's becoming a cover up now. And, and you pull on that thread and then, oh my goodness, it leads to the same desk, Dan. And we're beginning to find this out. And that's why, <laughs> leading us to the punchline, that's why I am going to have to uh, turn myself in. Um, they are, the Department of Justice is finally going to uh, pull the trigger on this thing that they've been threatening me for two and a half years. And uh, my, my attorneys are currently in negotiation right now with them on the date. But uh, it's going to be probably either this Friday or, or next Monday that I will be self-surrendering to um, uh, the government, and I will be facing January 6th charges myself. Any specific news or information coming down to you f with uh, that notification, or is that still up in the air? Uh, they still will not tell me what the charges are. Um, they technically don't have to, believe it or not. Um, you You wouldn't think so in the United States of America you would think that if you're going to face your accuser, that you get to know what is. Well, they they they're going to tell me when I face my my accuser face to face. They will tell me. Um, they are uh, they have obviously not been happy with the publicity that I've been able to generate about my case. Not only when I was an independent two and a half years ago, we were able to get a lot of media coverage at the time, and and we were able to go on a, a media offensive that backed them off, backed them off for twenty months. And then we had our, our most recent threat was back in mid-December. And then, of course, now by then I'm working with the Blaze and the media offensive was you know, exponentially larger. And they, they retreated again. But this was time it was only for a couple of months. And uh, they're back. And my, I was actually sitting at CPAC last week. Uh, it was Friday afternoon. Ironically, I had just left a... Um, January 6th panel uh, that was um, uh, hosted by the Epic Times 
and my good buddy Joe Hanneman from the Epic Times was on the panel. Um, Cash Patel, who I was just referring to a moment ago, uh, he was on the panel. And after the after that, um, uh, Joe and I went to a restaurant there at the Gaylord Hotel, and I got a call from my attorney and said, "Well, this is it. The time has come. It's for real this time. I have been told that the." Paperwork is signed and that it's under seal right now. And they said that it would be only misdemeanors. They won't tell me what misdemeanors they are. As you know, misdemeanors uh, can be uh, rather wide ranging from rather severe to not, not so severe. So they won't tell me what they are and they won't tell me how, tell me how many of them they are. And then, um, but he said it is, uh, it's going to happen this time, and they want you to uh, self-present this week. They wanted me to do it this week, but my travel schedule was such that I've I, I've sent my attorneys back to negotiate to um, at the very earliest Friday, and then uh, if not Friday, my preference would be uh, for next Monday. Where is this going to happen? This is going to happen in Dallas. Uh, okay. Obvious questions there. Um, because it's going to happen in Dallas, does that mean the trial, whatever's going to come from it, would also happen or possibly happen in Dallas? No. The um, uh, Every one of the January 6th trials so far have been held in D.C. There has not been a single um, change of venue motion granted. Uh, we are going to fight for change of venue harder than anybody has fought thus far. The most interesting thing that they know, and this is their risk calculation, and I'll understand that my lead attorney, I have two, two of the six attorneys currently on my team are both over 20 year former federal prosecutors. Both of them uh, assistant U.S. attorneys. So they know, and they know, I, what, they know the process very well. Yes, they, they know the process. And so my lead attorney told me yesterday that basically they have run all of the risk assessments. The reason why they have backed off now three times after three different threats is they have run all the risk assessments with my um, uh, status, my, my the, the bullhorn that I have now with through the blaze. The fact that I'm going to be appearing on Tucker on Thursday and and you know just X Y Z. You know from there you, you, you just ramp it up from there. They they saw what happened in mid December at their pr the last threat, they saw the reaction then by the press. And so they had to retreat and go, okay, what do we want to do with this guy? He said, so basically you said it, you could just imagine they sit around a round table, the department of justice, the, they've got the, uh, they've got the assistant U S attorneys. They've got the, uh, the U S attorney. He said, my case has probably been ran all the way up to the top. And they've said, okay, do we want to mess with this guy or not? They said, yes, take him down whatever you have to do. And so uh, the, the, the advantage that we have several advantages that the other January 6th defendants haven't had. Number one, I have the largest bullhorn of the thir over 1300 cases adjudicated so far, over 1300 people charged and arrested um, thus far. And by the way, that number is now they're looking at you know, something in the order, they're trying to get it up to around 3,500 before the statute of limitations runs out at the end of 25. And that's assuming, of course, that, that Trump doesn't win the presidency and, and scuttle the whole thing by, well, through pardons. 
But the the point being is is that they uh, out of the 1,300 arrested so far, I have the largest uh, media pr- um, presence. I I would and this, and this is not because of me. You understand this is not this is, this is not a this is not a pat on pat on my back. It just happens to be the circumstances that I find myself in. Well, you're the and, loudest. You're the loudest of everybody so far. You've got a bigger and well, louder a, yeah. horn to, to blow. Right. That and that's that's exactly what's going to happen. And so they've had so they've had to run that risk calculation. They're running the risk calculation against the PR um, offensive. Uh, what how they they could get a bloody nose or be embarrassed. That's the way my lead attorney put it. He said. He said they've run their, you know, he said the, the worst thing that they could see happening is that uh, they would uh, be embarrassed by a judge actually throwing your case out, dismissing your case because of the selective prosecution aspects of this, because they're with we're going to we're going to try this in the court of public opinion long, long, long before we ever go to go to trial. Well, sure. And he said he said they they will. It's very, you know, very possible. I mean, who knows, 50-50 or whatever, that, that a judge is going to see this and go, wait a minute, you can't, you can't, you cannot charge this guy if you're not charging those other 60 journalists that walk through the door. You can't do it. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what company they work for. It doesn't matter if they work for the New York or the New York Times or LA Times or Washington Post. You can't, you can't selectively pick this guy out and persecute him based on his political values and not hold them to the same standards because the one thing that the American people do not understand, in fact, just, yeah, and, and, and not that they should understand, is that you, you don't, as a member of the press, it doesn't matter whether you have credentials or not. You cannot cross a restricted line or a police line or go into a restricted area as a member of press. Press credentials are not a license to do so. So if the government is going to argue that I crossed into a restricted area, then they have to apply the same restricted line to every single one of those other journalists that cross that barrier. And as you and I both know, the only small handful of journalists who have been charged so far have been people that of a particular political stripe. And no one from the left has been charged. I've noticed that. I've kept waiting for that. But again, we get back to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., federal prosecutors there, judges there, they all pretty much walk to the beat of a different drum. They don't care what the people think. They don't care what precedent has been set. And they know that they could potentially be overturned. But typically when you have a verdict that comes from a Washington federal judge, it's going to be appealed to an appeals court there who's also going to weigh in and put the thumb on the side of the left mm-hmm. leftist there. So they're kind of like analyzing the, the exposure they may have, but their analysis is going to be based upon the way things are, not the way things are supposed to be. In other words, they don't give a crap. They don't care. And that's that's ultimately 
the, the truth. I mean, that, that is the truth. This is the nature of the deep state. This is the nature of the control over the narrative that they have. And whoever is really pulling the strings up there who is making the decisions is going to ultimately make the decision about this. But having said that, because of the temperament of the different judges, ultimately we will decide what our strategy going forward is going to be once we find out who my judge is going to be. Because of all of the, the district court judges in D.C. handling January 6 cases, it's it's quite a wide range. It's all it's all the way from, you know, uh, absolute um, flaming activist leftist like uh, Chuckin, who is handling the Trump case. Well, she also handles January 6 cases. All, and then, and then you have you have more reasonable judges that have have adjudicated. Um, let's say, let's just say more fairly, although there's still you know that 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 ninety nine point seven five percent conviction rate still um, <laughs> hangs over my head up there. But uh, it ultimately comes down to, as my attorney told me, that he said what they're what they're going to try and do. And he said, you can expect this. He said, there's going to be something ugly in the um, charging documents and the statement of facts. They're going to try and scare you into a quick plea deal. They get their notch in the, bu- in, in the belt. You take your plea deal. You, you lick your wounds. You go home and you know go about your life, and, and it's all over. But he said, if you decide that you want to take them to court and you want to fight, and you want to fight on a selective prosecution basis or First Amendment basis or whatever, you know, however we build the strategy at that point. He said, you have to be aware that they can always come back at you with a superseding indictment and go ahead and add a felony to that to punish you for not taking the plea deal. That's the way the game works. So what you're saying is the justice system is, has one eye if not both eyes open when they prosecute somebody. Um, It's not based solely on the rule of law. It's based upon an interpretation for whatever personal reasons they may want to interpret something. They're doing it for somebody else or for themselves, but it is not ultimately the rule of law that's going to weigh in on each of the issues that you may be confronted with. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Dan, the, the very thing, in fact, in fact, I can tell you the moment, the moment that my eyes were awakened to the corruption in these January 6 cases, not even real. Look, was I aware that the United States Department of Justice was corrupt? That our federal court systems was corrupt? Yeah, of course I was, but I wasn't personally um, uh, attached to it. But the moment that I became aware of it was reading the charging document, and we've talked about him before, of Oathkeeper Ken Harrelson. Yeah. So I'm reading his, what they call his statement of facts, which was prepared by what they call an FBI affiant, or the FBI agent is the affiant. So I'm, you know, he's, he's affirming that the, that the statements I'm making in here from my investigations are, are factual and true. That's why they call him the affiant. And so what, what I, when I was reading Harrelson's charging documents, I caught somewhere on the order of six or seven blatant lies. And these weren't exaggerations. They weren't mistakes. They were blatant lies. I immediately picked up the phone and I called Ken's 
attorney. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm hyperventilating. I said, this, this right here, how can they do that? And he, and, and his attorney like, calm down, calm down, calm down. He goes, yes, we know that's, that's, that's the way this game works. And then sure enough, fast forward two and a half years later, I'm reading Cash Patel's book this weekend. And he says the same thing. He says, this is part and parcel of the process. The process is to overcharge, to exaggerate, to lie, to literally, he, he says it. He said he's watched it inside the system as both a public defender and as a prosecutor on both sides. He's seen the federal government, the, the one who's supposed to be the government of the people, by the people, for the people, the, the one that's supposed to protect us from force and fraud. It's our government who manufactures evidence. And guess what I've seen in this, in my investigation the last two years, you know it found that oh yeah it it is it is the government he says it in the book that it is this government who puts liars on the sub stand suborns perjury the 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 very government who's supposed to be protecting us it, it, our government we're not supposed to be the target of our government our government was there's only one moral function of government and that's to protect us from force or fraud that's it but when government becomes force and fraud, we live in tyranny. And that's what I saw when I was reading. I, I, I saw tyranny on the page. I saw, the, I saw our government, rather than looking for truth and justice, they were looking to frame someone, our government. And fast forward, as I said, two years, and I'm reading about it in this book this weekend, and you fast forward to my life, and this is the most, I, I, you know, I, I, we, you and I have talked about this extensively, both here on the air and, and privately, is is that I don't want this. Um, I've prayed that this cup would pass for me. It appears that it's not, and um, so be it. So here we go. And so with that said, I, I think that I'm mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepared for this fight. But the one thing that I'm not looking forward to is this first round when they release to the public these charging documents because I've seen what they do to other people. I've seen how they literally destroy people's lives by the accusations they make in these charging documents. And I, I'm quite certain that that's why they're not telling me what I'm being charged with because they don't want to give me <laughs> – any advance notice so that I, you know, because they're not going to surprise me. They're not going to surprise my attorneys. We know what's coming, but you know, my friends, my family, the public, um, they don't know what's coming. <clears throat> well, it's not going to be wonderful. We do know that we have been praying. We will continue to pray and we're going to stay on top of this. I want to wrap this up today. First of all, let me thank you for a multitude of things. You're honest. You're sincere. You're a fact teller. And that goes a long way, especially in today's world of media. Why you or I, either one of us, chose to get involved in the media is beyond me. I thought we were both more intelligent than that. But nevertheless, it's not supposed to be the way it is today. And people have manipulated it. And it takes guts for somebody like you to stand up against it and say, I've had enough. We're not going to go down this road. 
We're going to talk about facts and facts only, and we're going to present the facts, and nothing's going to stop us from doing that. It's sad that I can even say that and mean it in this conversation. This is the United States of America. The one difference that we had, it came because our forefathers came from a communities that were just like the one we're talking about the United States is today. Supposed to be one thing, but then when you dig into it, you find out it's something totally different. And yes, it's supposed to be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But it really is government of the government, government of the people only if they're in the government, and government for the people that are in the government. And it's a slap in the face, but Americans are opening their eyes. Now the question is, are we going to do anything about it or just watch it and let it happen? We can't sustain a nation and turn our backs on it much longer. I think we're in for a tough ride myself, my friend. I think we are too, but um, let's do it together, Dan. I'm with you. We right. and our resources at Truth News Network and TNN Live, we're we're all in. We have been from the beginning, and uh, I've I've said that one thing to one other person, and he's been on this show quite a few times. I won't even mention his name, but we don't make commitments to somebody for what we get from the people we make commitments to. It's because we're either going to be all in or not in at all in everything. That used to be what Americans and America was about. Sadly, it's no longer that. It's what's in it for me and who's going to give me Mm. the best gimmies when I get into whatever it is. And that's where we end up making our choices. We're hanging with you, my friend. I'll be there when you need me, wherever it is. If you need me there in Dallas, I'll be there. If you need me in Washington, D.C., I'll be there. And anything, any resource that I can access at any time, you've always got me in your corner. And the people that are listening to this show today, most of them, with maybe the exception of six or so from Virginia. <laughs> hey, let me, let me tell you what. Let me tell you, they're all, they're all in too. <laughs> yeah, but the other way. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, um, when you get more specific details about timing and stuff, you're going to reach out and let me know, aren't you? I will do. I will do that. And whatever, Dan, I appreciate it. Whatever we can do with our voice here, too. They may quiet you, but I don't think they're going to quiet us for some time. So use us as you need us. Will do. Thank you, buddy. buddy. We'll talk soon. You got it. You do your thing. And you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store. Expand into new sales channels. And bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision.
friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo! Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Yeah, on that note, it is noteworthy to say uh, you can eliminate a bunch of different sources for quote-unquote news, and then you can just turn to the ones that you haven't eliminated yet because they tell you the truth. That's exactly what we are doing our best to do for you, and we're working hard, and actually, it's working for us. It's always good to know facts, isn't it? Well, I guess you've noticed Joe Biden's been talking in public a whole lot more lately. I think somebody got to him and said, hey, look, if you really want to win this election, you got to get out there and let the people understand that you're fine, you're okay. Well, he's out there and he's talking to people, but I don't think the outcome is what he really thought the outcome would be. Yesterday, he joked that Donald Trump is about as old as I am. That was during a soft soap Seth Meyers interview, which also saw the president blame his predecessor for this border crisis. How in the heck he can come up with that and think people don't understand it's a bold-faced lie? I'll never figure out. The last day of Trump's presidency was the best day that has happened with illegal immigration since Joe Biden stepped in the next day. The 81-year-old president He faces an unprecedented crisis of confidence over his repeated flubs that have been blamed on his advancing age was also indulged by Seth Meyers with another easy question about, guess who, Taylor Swift. So playing to the gallery, Biden, by the way, is the oldest president in U.S. history. He joked that it's classified whether he's part of a conspiracy between Swift and and her Kansas City Chiefs tight-end boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, to win the November election. Seth Meyers, whose show runs on liberal-leaning NBC, also, you probably didn't know that. You don't watch NBC News. I'm sure you don't. Also included, Seth Meyers did, a segment where he took Biden out for an ice cream. So in between slurps of a cone, the president said he hoped there'd be a ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza conflict within days. Seth Meyers did ask the president about growing concerns that he's too old to be the leader of the free world. And after joking that the information about his age is classified, and Joe could honestly say that because if you ask him, he couldn't tell you he's 81. (laughs) 
<laughs> but then he said, take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am. He broke a record previously set by Donald Trump, who is 77. He also blasted Trump and the Republican Party over the migrant crisis, claiming the former president is to blame for sabotaging a deal for immigration reform. We're going to get a pass. We're going to pass that border bill. It's overwhelmingly supported by both Republicans and Democrats in the House and the Senate, but because and I don't know this is for a fact, but I was told Trump is picking up the phone, calling the Speaker of the House, saying, don't let it pass. Why? Not because he doesn't think it's good, because it would benefit Biden, he claimed, adding that he continues his claims that this is not your father's Republican Party. There's no way to run a country like this. That's no way to deal so the bill he's talking about, it's a paltry $118 billion more, which combines border security with aid for Ukraine and Israel. Now, why they would throw those in the same bill that are supposed to take care of our southern border makes no sense to me, except Democrats understand, maybe Joe doesn't, but Democrats understand the American people don't want to spend a lot more money on Ukraine. They don't even know where the money's going. We're told, ha, 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 50 million of the money you sent to us was embezzled and it's gone. But just send us some more. We're going to watch it closer this time. If it overcomes the long odds, this legislation would radically upend how asylum is handled at the border. Asylum, once a policy afterthought, it's now the border's dominant challenge. In early February, Trump suggested the bill represents a death wish for the Republican Party coming up in this election. This is a Democrat trap. It's a trap for Republicans. It would be so foolish, so stupid to sign a bill like this. This bill can't be signed, Trump said. So Biden pleaded that his ideas were more important than age, given Trump's beliefs on issues like abortion and other policies that have been solid American positions for decades. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just saying. He also riffed with the first grader, uh, excuse me, a first guest on the show, Amy Poehler, who he's previously appeared on the show with and guest starred on her sitcom Parks and Recreation back in 2015. It's about how old your ideas are. Look, I mean, this is a guy who wants to take us back. He wants to take us back on Roe v. Wade, he said. I don't know where Joe gets this stuff from. I don't know where he gets it from. I haven't heard a word come out of Donald Trump's mouth about going back on Roe v. Wade. But facts don't really matter to Joe. They're fleeting if he even ever thinks of any. He even joked that Trump can't remember his wife's name in an apparent reference to his predecessor's visit to the conservative political action conference outside D.C. last weekend. Trump had praised his wife, Melania, while also referring, referencing a Mercedes prompting confusion on social media. However, it was later believed to be Mercedes Schlapp, his former aide who helps run the group and was in the audience that night. Biden repeated his recent criticisms of Donald, 
for recently suggesting he'd encourage Russian President Vladimir Putin to invade NATO allies that did not meet their financial commitments. Of course, Donald Trump didn't say that, but never let facts get in the way of a good television appearance, right? When Meyer said Biden had a bigger job now, so he was unavailable to appear for the show's 10th anniversary, Amy Poehler replied, oh, I could get him before calling out, hey, Mr. President, to which Biden responded by walking on stage. That was a kind of cool moment. Everybody was just like, oh, my gosh, there's Joe. Biden also criticized Trump for praising those who participated in the Capitol insurrection on January 6th and for pledging to pardon those who assaulted police officers and tried to overturn the 2020 presidential election, which Trump has not promised he was going to do. He never once said, I am going to pardon those who assaulted police officers and tried to overturn the 2020 presidential election. He never said that. But when have you heard a Democrat, especially a Democrat president, get locked in on things like the truth? It doesn't happen. That's what happens in Eastern European countries, Biden said. That's not what happens in America. He also talked about the conspiracy theory that he rigged the Super Bowl for Travis Kelsey's Kansas City Chiefs in order for him to get an endorsement from Taylor Swift, as well as further questions on the Israel-Hamas conflict. After recording that interview, it wasn't live. If you saw it, you didn't see it live. That was edited for obvious reasons. After recording the show, Biden stopped off for some mint chip ice cream from Van Leeuwen, with Myers joining him and getting the honeycomb flavor. Earlier, he went to an event with donors in a midtown hotel where he was also pressed about the Middle Eastern conflict. Late night shows remain a staple in U.S. television. I don't know why. I don't know why the Daily Caller would put that in there because it's not. The nighttime viewers of these nighttime news shows are horrible, have been for years. Biden again ducked the president's traditional Super Bowl TV interview earlier this month. Instead, made a debut on TikTok to try to target younger audiences on a platform that is officially considered a security risk by Washington. So if you work for Joe Biden in Washington, you can't have TikTok on your phone. Joe's got it on his, or at least whoever handed him that phone had TikTok on it. But if it's so bad for you and me, whatever it is, why in the world could it possibly be okay for Joe Biden? Oh my gosh, he's lost as a goose. He has no clue where he is most of the time and certainly doesn't know Who's doing what in his administration? Worse than it all, he doesn't care. He just wants one thing. One thing. Every morning when Jill wakes him up, hey baby, you're still the president. You're still the president of the United States. So just keep on trucking. That's a wrap today. Thank you, Steve Baker. Thank you all of you for being here. We're going to have a big week. Stay close and we'll talk soon here 
at TNN Live.